Before this episode starts, I wanted to let you all know that this episode, for some, will contain distressing topics. Recently, it has been reported in the news that Bally West are under investigation following sexual harassment and assault allegations. I personally would like to send my deepest sympathy to anyone who is directly or indirectly affected by this awful situation. I have aired this episode early in the hope that this episode helps in the hope that anyone who's been affected can reach out to Terry for help, in the hope that talking about these topics creates a change. In this episode, we do not sugarcoat these issues or water them down, as I feel these topics do need to be discussed. Thank you, and now we'll head straight into the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Performer Talks. I'm your host, Bethany Unwin, and today I'm joined by Terry Hyde. Terry is a retired professional dancer himself and now works as a counsellor and psychotherapist in the industry. Thank you so much for joining us, Terry. My pleasure, Bethany. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. So for all the listeners at home, can you tell us a bit about your time in the industry and how that has led you to do what you do today? All right, so I started ballet class when I was six years old, and at age 10, I won five one-year scholarships to the RAD in London, and that's where I lived. Um, Straight away after that, I went into the Royal Ballet Senior School. Uh, It was in Barons Court in those days, not, not a common garden. And uh, and then went into the into the Royal Ballet Company. Spent a few years there, but I wanted to do I wanted to to develop my character work and joined a company called London's Festival Ballet as a soloist. Now London's Festival Ballet is now called English National Ballet. Um, and after about I think it's two or three years, I left the ballet world, the ballet bubble, and went into musical theatre to perform in West End musicals, film and television. And I did a UK tour of West Side Story as well. That's brilliant, that show. And after that, I started a business, a business management organisation, and ran that for 15 years. Fabulous. That's such an extensive list of what you've done. That's amazing. It sounds like you've dabbled in each and every area of the industry. That's not all, Bethany. (laughs) Ask me the next question. (laughs) So um, when you were working as a dancer, did you know you wanted to look more at mental health within dancers? Was there something that caused you to start looking at mental health? Or was it only when you retired and came out of that bubble that you looked back on your time differently in the industry and kind of saw it in a different way? Quite right. I think the last part uh, is is where uh, it, that's what it took me to, into uh, training as a psychotherapist. When I was in the industry, I think I was blind to what was going on and what was not going on with regard to help and support for for dancers. I now see uh, what was going on then, what's going on now, 
and there was a great need to help and support dancers. So I ran this uh, business management organization. I was looking after people in show business uh, as their business manager. And during the meetings, a lot of them would offload on me all of their personal issues. And I, of course, I, you know, I, I, I was naive. I didn't know what to do with all this information, you know, how to help them. So 15 years after starting it, I sold the business and decided I, I want to know more how to, how to help performers in general, not just dancers, but performers in general. And uh, I retrained as a psychotherapist then. So it, it was a long time after I retired as a dancer that I um, trained as a psychotherapist. But it wasn't until 2016 when... Uh, a retired dancer came to me after being discharged from a psychiatric unit. Um, I treated that person for six months, and after the six months, when when they finished the sessions, I thought, "This is what's needed: someone that actually understands performers, understands their mindset." And so, in 2017, I set up a website called counsellingfordancers.com and from that point I've been banging on doors, uh, annoying people um, to try and get across the need for mental health support. So for, for, the, for instance, dancers will always try and look after their bodies and they will go and have uh, go to physical health treatments, uh, maintenance, and all of that, but don't think about their emotional and mental health. So there's an imbalance. There's not a parity between physical health and mental health, which is what is really needed uh, in, in, this, in this industry. And the other thing is there's a fear of appearing weak. So uh, dancers will probably work through injuries. I mean, I did mm. uh, when I was performing because you don't want to appear weak to the artistic director. Or if you're in, in a, a vocational school, you don't want to appear uh, weak to the teacher uh, or the uh, principal or whoever is making the decision. So you work through your injuries and, it, and it's exactly the same case with emotional issues. You don't want to appear weak, so you won't mention anything. You won't mention uh, your anxiety. You won't mention that grandma uh, died last week and you're not feeling up to it. You need to, and, and we're trained as dancers right from that early age of pushing through pain, pushing through your emotions. You've got to get done. It's all good for you. Well, it's not because in the end, there's going to be suffering, both physical, if you've had injuries and you work through it, or emotional. They're all going to build up. They're all going to snowball until bang, there's burnout, there's um, just cracking up for, for, for people that put pressure on themselves and actually don't offload. You know, it's okay not to be okay. And I think that's the point I'm trying to get across to schools, uh, to vocational colleges, and to dance companies. So I'm involved in a number of schools and a number of dance companies, and there, there seems to have been a change. There seems to be a slow movement, but there are still some 
old school ways of training, old school ways of thinking. Um, and those are the hard nuts to crack at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the fact that you're having to go around banging on these doors and trying to make people realise it, it's kind of half of the issue that we have in the industry of turning a blind eye to things like this. So the fact that you're, you've come from a dance and performer background and you're helping other performers, you can kind of relate to them and I suppose push that door open and make that barrier come down. So that's amazing what you're doing. Yeah, sometimes the doors are slammed in my face. Um, I mean, with the with the Ballet West uh, situation at the moment, I contacted them two years ago, um, emailing them. I got no responses and no responses from the reminders. Um, and in those th- uh, three years, uh, in the two years rather that that have gone, three of the students had contacted me direct, not knowing that I'd contacted the school about my workshops and and mental health support for their students, but because of the issues that were going on. Um, So I knew that there was uh, something going on there, but, you know, all I could do was suggest that they contact the principal, and they said, well, the principal won't listen. Or when I said, okay, well, then you need to contact the trustees. Uh, And now we hear from the news items from ITV that uh, the trustees said they never got any complaints or they never received any complaints. So, and, you know, that's one school in the UK. Mm. There's so many other schools that could be do, could be happening the same thing, but that they are opening up now. They are contacting me. They are contacting others that uh, uh, and starting up support, more support for their, uh, for their students. So there is a movement towards but it's very slow at present there's still even from the fact of artistic directors in the dance companies excuse me and principals in the colleges and schools their fear is if we actually say we've got the mental health advisor or we've got mental health support does that mean that our students have got mental health issues well no it means you're supporting just in case you know you're being proactive and I think that there's the fear of the artistic directors that ticket buyers for their shows will think they've got mental health issues. Well, it's obvious they've got injuries because there's cast changes. Why can't they have a show on their websites that they have mental health support as well? Yeah. It's a puzzle. True. That is so true as well because, you know, we treat injuries completely different to mental health, but it's still under our well-being and health bubble. So we need to try and normalise the fact that, you know, it is okay not to be okay, like you said. And um, I think, obviously, with, like you say, what's currently going on at the minute, unfortunately, you know, we've seen a lot on the news. Um, You know, it's almost normalised in our industry for these things to... um, you know, be turned a blind eye to, and that's that's not the way it should be at all. So, um, thank you for for mentioning that. You know, these things shouldn't happen, and um, obviously, we are making a movement, and things are slowly changing for the better. They are, yes, yeah. Um, I uh, at the time, because I know this is going out a few months later, but at, at the time. Uh, 
and I, I, I can still leave it open for, for your listeners, should any of them either be uh, involved with Ballet West or uh, know of anybody. I, I was offering one free therapy session for past, present, and those that were going to go into their first year, and also to the faculty as well. Uh, so one just to help them through that stage so they can contact me and at the end of the the, the program I'll give all the details of that anyway. Thank you so much that would be wonderful thank you. Um, So when you're looking back to when you were a dancer as you say there is this slow movement but do you think enough has changed within the industry or do you think there's definitely areas where we need a lot of improvement that we can help with ourselves? Oh, yes, yes, and yes, <laughs> to, your, to your answers. Um, yes, there's uh, greater improvement is needed. There's still a blind side to uh, mental health support. Uh, lots and lots and lots of money is being spent on um, physical he- health support by the, the main ballet companies and uh, the main uh, schools as well, you know, the ones that have got the money to do it. Um, and it, the movement is slow, unfortunately. And I think when you get to situations like this, that's happened with Valley West, the movement will speed up again. Uh, but it, it's unfortunate that it needs these car crashes scenarios uh, to get people sitting up and saying, oh, actually, we need to do something about this. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's a lot more prevention that is needed before we wait for something to happen and then act on it. That's right. So my, um, you know, me contacting vocational schools and dance companies to get them to be proactive. I mean, my approach is proactive. Um, the, the, uh, the, the mental health self-care workshops, the interactive workshops, um, are proactive, so it's helping the schools and the dance companies, their dancers or their performing artists. Because yeah, I do um, uh, triple threat, I think they're called now, um, stage schools. Um, so it's not just dancers. Um, I get them to understand their own mental health and, their, and any of their past issues that they're holding back. Once they start doing that, then they can understand and they can get to grips and they can control. So they're not letting their emotional and mental health run away and they'll understand the triggers to it. So they can they can do some self-talk uh, when these situations arise. So from that point of view, it's not just therapy. Therapy is the last resort. Yeah. What I'd like to see is um, all of the schools and all of the dance companies or performance artist companies uh, and all the vocational colleges to have mental health first aid, uh, just like physical first aid. Um, there's lots of companies in the UK that, that run uh, mental health first aid courses. And if you've got enough people, then they'll come along to you. You don't have to go to them. Um, so that at least the faculty is aware of uh, a student or a dancer um, 
if there's something wrong, rather than saying, there, there, go and have a day off and you'll be all right when you come back, or pull yourself together, or these awful expressions that some people use. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like we need to look at the faculty as well and, you know, help them understand because they've, you know, come from this long line of teachers where everything they've done has been, you know, what they've been taught themselves. Um, So it's kind of talking to them and making them realise that maybe the way that they were trained should be different to how they're training people now. Yes. I mean, I've heard, you know, from from faculty, some of them that have been really treated badly when they were uh, training themselves have actually turned and said, I'm never going to treat my students like that, which is great. But the other, on the other hand, you're going to get the faculty that's just going to continue that same old school way of training and bullying and cajoling in, a, in a, quite an abusive way. Um, and they say, well, I got through it. Yeah, but, you know, actually, if you look under your skin and you see how you are at this moment and what, how have you dealt with things in your life? I mean, I'm not going to go into therapy practice routine, but um, do you really, are you really happy with that, the way that you treat? Because some people are just, some of the teachers with the old school are just projecting onto the students their own issues. And so, um, you know, the poor students getting the brunt of what went on in their life and in the teachers' lives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it all stems from somewhere, doesn't it, unfortunately? But hopefully, like you say, these things are changing and we can normalise getting performers the help that they need and that support being there for them. Hmm. Can I just touch on something, Bethany? Absolutely. Um, what, what I want to explain to your followers is about therapy itself, because uh, uh, the majority of people haven't been to therapy. Those that have been to therapy will understand what I'm talking about. First of all, you don't have to be mentally ill to come to therapy, and you don't think, oh, I'm mentally ill, I've got to go to therapy. That's not the case, um, because there's a great stigma about mental health. And there's a, there's a fear that someone could catch it, you know, you catch anxiety or depression, for example, well, it's not the case. Um, so in a therapy session, I would try and gain a rapport, because if you don't trust the therapist, you're not going to open up, you're not going to go into those places where you want to share things. But as I said, you don't have to be mentally ill. So there could be certain situations that you don't actually want to share with other people, but you need to deal with. And it's going round and round and round and round in your head. Um, or little triggers happen. So you don't necessarily become ill, but that's when you need just a few sessions just to talk things through and get a different point of view. I don't give advice. I don't give direct advice. The, the idea of the therapy session is to is to let the the client talk through their issues and actually find a solution for themselves because once you hear yourself talking through the issues it, it comes slowly into a realization and all I will do will perhaps gently challenge some of the ways that the clients will think 
um, to, to, to perhaps point them in, you know, maybe in a different direction. You know, I, I would wonder how, if, if they did this, would that happen? And so it puts them in a different point of view because we're very fixated. And as dancers who have started dancing or singers who have started singing or actors who have started acting from a very early age, we have a very black and white thinking because, you know, if you're not doing it right, you're wrong. There's no middle ground. And so we become very narrow in our way of thinking. We don't have a sort of a broader look of, of the situation either in our careers, our training, or in our life outside of that. It becomes very fixed. And so by getting uh, people to look on a broader horizon, they see, see a different way of dealing with things. Yeah. I think that is a really healthy way of looking at it as well that it's not just you know treatment it is essentially like just self-care it's just looking after yourself and acknowledging where you are and where you want to go and how you're going to go about doing it in the safest way possible for yourself well that's right I mean and that's what my self-care workshops are all about is being proactive understanding where your triggers come from because we're all unique Bethany we we have a, a totally different upbringing or outlook even twins that were brought up in the same household have a different outlook on us on the same situation or situations growing up then everyone is unique and so therefore when people say oh I can get through that why can't you do that no you know we we are all different and I think some of the, the training, uh, such as in China and, and Russia, which is, you know, sort of spread over into, into Europe and the UK and America, <clears throat> the Russian training that is, is very robotic. It may be allegedly aesthetically pleasing because everyone looks the same. Um, it may be pleasing because the technique is good, but they're not humans inside. So the in their training, they're not treated as humans, they're treated as machines. And so what does that do to an individual? And we were talking earlier about the teachers carrying on that same thing, not supporting, you know, using bullying techniques. You've got to do it this way. And we heard about the uh, gymnastics as well, yeah. I think. Uh, so we are now in uh, August. So in August... Um, we heard about the gymnastics team and, and they're dealt with in exactly the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, like I say, these things are normalised, not just within our industry. Um, unfortunately, you know, it does get normalised when these horrible events kind of happen. Um, so it's about if you are going through it or you see someone, even if you know about it, it kind of just talking it through will help so much mm. yeah and reporting it absolutely yeah that's a massive a massive massive thing and it's not always easy to be the one to come forward it takes a lot of courage um but yes, yeah. you know it's always the the best way to help yourself and help others yes definitely i think i'm all against bullies and bullying because it happened to be at school. I mean, you can imagine in the 1950s, a, a schoolboy doing ballet 
Yeah. <laughs> I come I come from a working class background, and so it was it was not looked on kindly. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, and I was I was bullied at school by these guys who were a lot older than me, and they're a lot bigger than me. I'm only five foot five now, so you can imagine how. I mean, I was called Midge, short for midget, uh, in school. That was my nickname. And they used to take the mick out of me uh, in, in the playground. Well, one day, and as I say, they're all bigger than me. One day, one of them got behind me and held my, you know, put, my arm, put his arm around my neck because uh, they were all laughing and joking. All I did, and you can imagine, um, I don't know, a 12-year-old, I've been dancing since I was six. So six years of strengthening, you know, the core muscles in the body. I just bent forward and he went flying over my back onto the playground. And they all laughed at him. They never touched me and they never never said anything to me after that. So by standing up to the bullies, and I'm talking about here and now, you know, in, 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 in this industry, that's what needed to be done. And they need to be called out. They need to be shown what they're doing is wrong. So, you know, if, if people have got issues about bullying, they're not mentally ill, but they can still come to me for sessions and they could talk about how it's affected them. So, as I said, it's not really just a mental health illness that you go to a therapist for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Yes. I mean, you can go to the extreme of, of rape, um, and a lot of people that have that've come to me that have been raped don't necessarily come to me for rape. They come to me for other things. And then and then weeks down the line, in quite a number of sessions, then they come out about being raped. And, and they think it's perhaps their fault. So when being bullied on a, on a lower level than the, than the rape, people think, oh, is it my fault? Is it something I've said or done that's enticed the, the bullies to, to say something to me? Um, or in class, throwaway lines by teachers, uh, such as, oh, I see you've had a lot of Christmas pudding, Jane. You know, just these little insidious lines that, that, that throw away, that is bullying, that's verbal abuse. Yeah. And that needs to be called out. Uh, and so in these uh, workshop sessions to the, to the teenagers and, and older, I talk to them about assertive communication. You know, and assertive communication is just, just telling somebody how what they've said or done makes you feel and ask them not to do it again. And But, but I go through a routine of, as, as to how to do it. And, and so you're, you're calling the bully out. And, and the answer to that is, oh, I was just joking. Yeah, but joking to one person is abuse to another. You know, and, and some some uh, bullies will say, well, you should be tough enough to take it. That's not the case. Not the case at all. It really needs to be stopped. Yeah, abuse is abuse. And that's, that's the bottom line, isn't it, really? It is, yes. So how can counselling, obviously we've touched on a few a few things here, but how can counselling help performers? Okay, so my my type of counselling, and I think I'm unique because I've developed it over the years, um, other than talking through the issues that uh, a dancer can bring 
so that, that can go way back to the start of, of their training, or traumas that have happened uh, lately, but it's how their reaction to it is, uh, the situation. Um, so those are talked through, and as I say, I, I, I guide the person to finding their own solutions, but to do with injuries, I use visualizations. So I get them, I, I feed the questions to the client who then talks to their body or talks to the pain. Uh, they don't have to use their mouth, they do it in, in the thoughts in their head. And by, by talking to, to their body in, in a, a safe environment, such as the therapy room, even if it's on Zoom, still call it a therapy room, um, they are able to understand what their body is trying to tell them. You know, throughout our lives, dancers talk to their bodies, but they never listen to the answers because the answers that come aren't what the artistic director, aren't what the principal or the teacher are trying to tell them, push through, etc. You know, the body is saying, I need to rest. I need to stop now. Don't stretch so much. That the body is telling them these things. And I do the demonstration with um, a volunteer in, in my workshops to show how it works. And although we're not trying to get tears from, from the individual, they, they become tearful at it because they realize that that is what their body needs, not what the teacher, the choreographer, the artistic director wants. And this is what I'm saying about the bullying, you know, that you're being pushed beyond your physical and your mental barrier. We are always trying to push through the barriers. That's what we're told. And so using those uh, visualization techniques, that helps to have an understanding. Then you can have a communication with your body and communication with the pain or the injury. Uh, in the sessions, um, I work with the unconscious uh, of, the, of, the, of the client. So their unconscious knows everything. And dreams come from the unconscious. So we work with dreams in the session. It's called dream re-entry, where you go back into the dream and you talk to the objects and you talk to the characters, because sometimes the, the characters aren't the actual person. So somebody might say, oh, my friend was in my dream and they did this and said that, but it's the character of the dream, which character of the individual that, that is saying. Um, so it's, it's, it's a way of getting some truth of what the unconscious is trying to tell us. So everything about us, whether it's the unconscious, whether it's our body, mind, all of us is trying to help us, but we won't listen. So our conscious thoughts are battling against the truth a lot of the time uh, because of what we've been told as a child, either by parents, either by teachers. Um, so the truth of, of, of who you really are and what you are at that point in time will slowly come out so you understand who you are, what you can deal with, what you can't deal with, and what you can deal with, you can change. You can make changes. You have control. Even if you don't think you have control in your life, you have a certain amount of control in your decision-making. Um, I've had clients come to me, sort of late teens, and 
uh, with anxiety or depression or something like that, all the parents have sent me. And eventually, down the line, maybe a month or two down the line, it comes out that either grandma or parents have paid a lot of money for the training, but actually that dancer doesn't want to become a professional. They are stale. They don't want to continue to dance, but they don't know how to tell grandma or parents. Uh, they don't want to let people down. So they go through this misery of just going through the process of going to class, of doing the performances. And it happens with um, professionals that don't realise that actually it's time to give up now. It's time to retire. Um, you know, they feel a need because everyone says how wonderful they are to do it. But, that, you know, they, they don't want to do it anymore. They want to change. And that's what I was saying about some people in turmoil and they're not mentally ill, but, you know, help to clear it up, help to clear their mind. Absolutely. So if performers wanted counselling with you or a college or a school wanted to get in touch with you for a workshop, how could they best find you? Um, email will be best, which is counsellingfordancers at gmail.com. Um, obviously, there's um, a lot of information on, on my website, www.counsellingfordancers.com. Um, and there is, a, there is a, an email link there that goes to another email address, but I can still get it. But the, the email address where I get notifications straight away is the Gmail one. So counsellingfordancers at gmail.com. I've got um, a, uh, some media, not media, social media uh, platforms, which are Instagram and Facebook are both the same. It's at counselling for dancers the at sign and uh, on twitter which i don't use very often is at counselling dance and, ca and the, the counselling has got a single l i had to i had to reduce it down because twitter don't like long names <laughs> so that's slightly different okay. but you can all, all always find the links on my website to those social media platforms Amazing. And I will make sure I put all of Terry's counselling for dance websites, Gmail and his Instagram bio in the show notes for this episode. So if you didn't get a chance to write it down, don't panic. Just look at the show notes below. And also there'll be a post about Terry on our personal Instagram. So if you're really struggling to find him, head over to TPJ, the Performer Journals, and we will direct you to him. Um, so thank you so much. And a very last question for you. What advice would you give to aspiring performers? Be kind to yourself. When you have a day off, have a day off. Don't go and do cross training. Don't go and do anything else. Have a day off. Be kind to yourself. Allow your body to rest. Allow your mind to rest. And if you do have any things that are going on in your head, don't fight them. Just allow things. If you are in friendships with other people that you can see are struggling, ask them, are they all right? But ask them twice because, I mean, today, hi, how are you? You don't want to listen at how they are. You know, just say to the person, no, tell me what is going on. But the issue is not 
to give advice. Do not give advice. Just allow them to offload. That's all. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much. What fabulous advice. Be kind to yourself, everyone. Thank you so much, Terry, for taking the time out of your day to come and be with us today. My pleasure, Bethany. Thank you for asking me. No, that's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Please don't forget to follow us on Spotify, to leave a review on iTunes. All of those things will help us reach more performers, help get free information and industry insight out there and help as many performers as we can for free and make this industry accessible to everyone. So thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Bethany Unwin, and this has been Performer Talks.